I'm Al Shmilovich. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm managing partner at Gerber Kawasaki. Uh, we have Scott Price and Janice uh, from, uh, I'll let you guys introduce yourself. <laughs> Janice, go I'm, ahead. I'm Janice Ho from the Price and Ho Group, um, real estate group. We, uh, we sell real estate on the west side. I'm Scott Price from the Price and Ho Real Estate Group. And uh, Janice and I have been working together for about 16 years and we sell real estate on the west side of Los Angeles. And I'm John Chalino with Bank of America, and I've been doing this for about 30 years. And I do most of my business in the west side and sometimes all across the United States. But for the most part, it's the west, uh, west Los Angeles area. Awesome. We know people are going to have a lot of questions. Uh, a lot of our, a lot of our um, Clients are on the west side. We have clients scattered all over the city and, and all over the country, much like you, John. So, uh, you know, we'll, while, while some of this stuff is going to be centered around West Los Angeles, you know, we're going to talk about some, uh, you know, generalizations for the rest of L.A. and then possibly the rest of the country as well. And um, while we might not have the right real estate answers for you, uh, you know, in the rest of the country, um, we're certainly going to talk about, you know, some of the trends and, and kind of what's going on. So just, yeah, a couple more minutes. Thanks for everybody for joining us. Just bear with us as we uh, are in this awkward silence moment where <laughs> we're waiting for everybody to join. But I'm excited to have you guys. Um, four people, you know, everyone here is kind of an expert in their industry. Um, you know, I know firsthand, Price and Hubbo, firsthand for my clients, for myself. Great job. I've been working with John recently. Super knowledgeable, great guy. So listen to what these people have to say. They, they all know what they're talking about. Any uh, Anything you guys want to add before we get started? Um, that real estate is really a micro market business market. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll be able to share with you what's going on West Side, Los Angeles, but um, we don't really know what's going on in different neighborhoods all across the country, unlike the financial market. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Great, grateful to be here. Hopefully we can uh, help some people get some insight on their questions, maybe some concerns about the COVID you know, market and what's going on out there. So uh, we'll be able to tell you real time what we've been seeing, uh, what our buyers have been seeing, what our, what our sellers have been experiencing, even renters, landlords, so we can uh, kind of delve into some of those uh, topics as we go along. Perfect. Yeah, and, and from the mortgage side, you know, I can try to answer as many questions as possible when during these times, you know, and how it's affected the overall mortgage market. So we're here to help out. Awesome. All right. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from Alan saying we might have some kind of technical issues. So sorry, guys. Just bear with us. Um, one of the one of the beauties of the joys of the uh, of the COVID world is we get to do all this. Okay, um, okay. So there is an issue. There is a slight issue with Zoom, but we are live on YouTube and Facebook. Um, so let's just, let's just kind of get started uh, to begin. So, um, so I want to introduce myself again real quick. Hey, Alex, I'm a veterinary partner at Gerber Kawasaki. Um, sorry. Uh, I'm a veterinary Kawasaki managing partner here with Scott and Janice from Price & Ho uh, Real Estate and, and John Torino from Bank of America. We're here to talk real estate investing uh, in the stock market, investing in real estate uh, in this COVID and post-COVID world that we are in and hopefully we'll be out of soon. Um, so I just wanted to give you a little bit first. I'll start with the boring stuff, which is the disclaimers um, for us. And just make sure you know, everything we talk about today is not a recommendation that you do. Um, you should always contact an advisor um, for any investment recommendations and everyone's situation is different. Please feel free to reach out to myself and anyone here on this call. Um, if you have any questions, uh, we're here to help. So with, with that being said, uh, I want to talk a little bit really quickly. So obviously, you know, the last few months has been a, a very unique time in all of our lives. 
Um, and I sat there thinking the other day about one day uh, when, when my child is old enough, I'm gonna tell him about all the crazy things that happened um, in COVID. Even though he's living it, he probably won't remember it quite as clearly as, uh, as we do. Um, and it's definitely created some many questions as to what's gonna happen for investing for the near future and for the next year or two. Um, so our firm, Gerber Kawasaki, we specialize in you know stock market and bond market investing. We'll talk some more about that. And then we'll let the rest of us talk about you know, the real estate market and their opinions. If you guys have questions, please feel free to shoot them over to us in the live chat. Um, we'll get to as many as we can. And, um, and we'll have time at the end also for questions. So really, really briefly, I just want to kind of talk about um, where we're at right now. Um, for those of you uh, who have been investing either in, you know, in the stock market, um, obviously, uh, you know, March and April were very challenging and, and kind of crazy time in the market. It's extreme volatility. Um, and, you know, that's how markets generally react in the short term when there's uncertainty, which obviously COVID has done a lot of. Um, and then in the last couple of months, we've had a pretty big snapback in the market, um, which, which is leaving a lot of people with a lot of questions as to where do we go from here? Um, you know, what's going to happen in a market where we had the highest unemployment we've had since the Great Depression? Um, you know, we, we don't really know what the economy is going to look like for the foreseeable future um, as we just start to open. So normally speaking, in, in economic cycles, um, the stock market reacts first and hardest um, and then tends to react to the upside again much quicker. Um, so just to give you guys an, uh, just sort of a comparison, uh, in 2009, when we had the financial crisis, the stock market bottomed in, in March of 09, at the pure depths of the recession. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years later that the market, that, you know, uh, that it wasn't until a year later that we were out of recession, quote, and real estate, which obviously had taken the hardest hit, um, had taken a few more years. Um, to come back. It was almost three years until the real estate market had fully bottomed. So um, we really want to kind of talk about what this means for us. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, as, as people like to say. So we're here to talk about some of those rhymes. Um, and, you know, with that being said, rather than me just kind of talking at you guys, I really want to, to get, you know, Janice and Scott, I really want to get your guys' opinion as to what you're seeing Post-lockdown, right? People are out and about. Obviously, no one was able to buy houses in, uh, in lockdown, or very few. What, do you, what are you two seeing now? Um, first, yeah, thank you, thank you. The first month of the lockdown, it was very uncertain. Um, we actually weren't even sure how we should advise our clients um, because we didn't know kind of what was going to happen. Um, CAR, California Association of Realtors, was coming up with new guidelines within the first week and a half, two weeks of the lockdown. So um, it was pretty quiet uh, the first month, I would say. Um, we still had uh, sellers who were preparing to list their properties that we were trying to time out um, when they should put their properties on the market. And then buyers, actually, I would say... Um, at the time, probably 50% of them fell out of the market, decided not to buy. Um, since then, about, I would say, six weeks ago, uh, it's been like nothing changed. It's like back to, back to normal um, in terms of um, there, there was always a backlog of buyers, even up until uh, the sh shutdown. And then there would seem to be even more because now there's more buyers, fewer listings, so less inventory, and we're seeing a lot of multiple offers on properties and um, prices being driven back up again. So with the that combined with the low rates, the buyers are out there, at least they are on the West side. Yeah, I, I echo all of what Janice just said, and I'll add on a couple of additions there. Um, from a Compass, um, uh, a recent survey, the, the single family home searches are up 40%. So mm -hmm. what we're seeing is a lot more interest in 
buyers looking at single family homes versus condos or townhouses where they may have to get in an elevator with, you know, a group of people or go down a hallway or go down certain, uh, you know, through other doors where people have touched and whatnot. So uh, we haven't really seen the outcome of that quite yet, and, and we probably won't for a number of months. Um, so that's an interesting take on it is that will there be a shift more towards suburban, single family homes, you know, your own four walls, so to speak, mm-hmm. and less so towards condos. So that's the first thing. The second thing is with regards to sellers, um, it, it's, you know, the with everything that's going on with COVID, it's a little bit more of a daunting task to be a seller because, A, you've got to be way more flexible right now, especially with timelines with lenders appraisals, you know, getting the underwriter team to get things signed off, um, getting in and out, just to get in inside inside of a house right now, we have to have an eight page form filled out and signed just to go look at the house. So anybody who enters the house has to sign this declaration, right, to get in and out of the house. You can't touch anything. You know, you're only supposed to have uh, two people in the house at a time plus an agent. So uh, sellers have got to be flexible. And buyers, we, we still think it's a good time. And we're seeing that it's it, there's still a lot of multiple offers, just like Janice said. It's like maybe a little bit less competitive right now, slightly. But still, it's almost like nothing has skipped a beat since uh, since the shutdown in mid-March. Uh, and and do, you, do you think that a lot of this is just pent up because people haven't been able to, to look at houses for the last three months? Um, is there stuff like PPP money um, that there's just, you know, we won't, we won't talk about the, you know, trillions of liquidity in the market just yet um, from the Fed and such, but do you think that a lot of this is just sort of pent up appetite for the people who weren't, be, who weren't able to kind of deal with this stuff right now? Um, so I'll, I'll jump on that one really quickly. So yes, I do think it's pent up appetite. I think that before the shutdown, there was still a ton of buyers out there looking for homes. And there was very low inventory. Mm-hmm. So yes, part of that is yes. I would say the second thing is there, there are some that may think that, hey, I may t- want to take a little bit of money out of the volatile market mm-hmm. and put it into real estate, right? Just take a, hey, because let's be honest, the market is pretty high right now, right? And it's still pretty high, even though it's up and down every day. I might take a look, our down payment out and put it into a house where it might be a little bit more safe. It might be a little bit more stable, which who knows? Is the, is the truthful answer. Sure, sure. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think between those two things, uh, yes, I, I think that that's, Janice, did you have anything to add to that? No, actually, I have a question for y'all while we're talking about the real estate market, I mean, the um, stock market, sure. market. Why do you think it is so hot right now? Why, how did it, how is that? It it also doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, I think the answer look no further than the same reason that the real estate market continues to be so hot is um, there's a ton of liquidity in the market right now. The Fed has pumped a bunch of liquidity into the system. Interest rates are at zero, also driving the real estate market right. Um, and people are trying to look past what's going to come over the next quarters when earnings are happening, right? So we know that Q2 is going to be a terrible earnings season. We already know that. We know that Q3 is probably going to be bad also. But people have already started to look forward as the stock market tries to predict what's going to happen six months from now, generally speaking. So I think everyone's kind of looking past it and hoping for this sort of V-shaped recovery. Um, I'm not as convinced on a V-shaped recovery um, as a lot of people are. But that being said, just like with real estate, there's really no other, there's two games in town right now. It's real estate market. It's the stock market because mm-hmm. I could buy a 10 year government bond that pays me 0.7%. For 10 years, I can lock a 0.7% interest rate. Like who would do that? And, and, and believe it or not, we're the best market because we could go to Europe and get negative rates mm-hmm. uh, or go to China and get God knows what <laughs> from them. Um, so, COVID? so sorry, <laughs> sorry, only I can make that joke. <laughs> um, and the Bank of Japan also has the negative rates, you know. So, so really, it is a question of money needs to go somewhere, 
And if it's earnings zero, we're always going to be searching for a place to dump it where we're actually going to get some kind of rate of return. And that's what the stock market is. The second thing is actually, while the market seems to be high, it's mostly driven by one or two sectors of the market. Mm. Um, and thankfully, it happens to be the two sectors of the market that we specialize in, um, and, and me personally, but it's technology and healthcare. Um, and, and I'm going to put technology and communications, the S&P technically breaks them into two, but communication being Google and Facebook and, uh, and Netflix. And such. Um, but these sectors of the market were already the, the drivers of the market before COVID. And just like, look like everything else, COVID kind of threw into light, right? Everything that was wrong with the economy until now. Um, and this was sort of the final nail in the coffin for those, be it real estate, uh, sorry, not real estate, sorry about that, retail um, or energy or, or those kinds of things. So if you look at the big companies that everybody knows, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, you know, Google, Netflix, and Facebook, they're driving the market. That's what's driving this market higher. In fact, if you strip those companies out, the return is significantly lower. So it becomes very important to invest in the right sectors of the economy and not just sort of indiscriminately buy everything. Much like I would imagine you two would tell me, right? If I buy a house, you know, some right. random house in LA, it's probably not going to be the same as if I buy, you know, north of Montana in Santa Monica. Uh, that's like what I call the Apple real estate over there. Um, and so that, that's kind of how I imagine you guys feel about real estate right now because it, it's super hot also and super high. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so that that that's my take. That's our take. Um, I do think we're going to ex experience some more volatility over the next couple, over the next few months, as we sort of see this permeate through the system. Um, and, and I'm curious to see what happens once the sort of reality sets in versus the optimism, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Record cases again spike in Texas and Florida. Um, you know, hopefully we're not going into lockdown again, but what happens is all this trickles down through the system into the real economy. Mm. Um, and how does it affect real estate? How does it affect the stock market, right? In general, real estate is a longer process to feel the effects, right? Because you're going to, somebody needs to lose their job first, then they have to go. Now we have mortgage forbearance for 12 months since COVID started. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have things like, you know, foreclosures and all kinds of things that will have to trickle through the system. And then we'll see. So does this, does the mortgage forbearance, does the liquidity, does it prop us up long enough to keep us afloat? Mm -hmm. Or does it simply elongate the cycle into, okay, we kick the pan down the road six or 12 months, and now we're going to feel the real effects of the economy. Mm -hmm. So right now we're still optimistic, the tech, at least the stock market or that sector, a couple of sectors in that stock market. And also, I guess you could say in real estate as well. Sure. Optimistic and also future planning. So planning for long, long term, exactly. not just looking for the next six months to one year. Even. Exactly. Yeah. Just like you guys, you know, the stock market, because it trades on a day to day, second to second basis. We have this, you know, proclivity for saying, "Oh, the stock market is risky. The stock market is, uh, you know, it's super volatile. It's crazy. I don't want to deal with it." Uh, real estate is is a safe bet, only because it doesn't price on a second to second basis like the stock market does, right? So, so just like you guys, when, when I give the I give the analogy to a lot of my clients as your your investment portfolio is like real estate, right? You, mm -hmm ownership in companies you it's like you're owning the property and they can appreciate and then you get dividend income which is just like rental income right so they're just kind of two sides of a different coin of the same coin um and both should be used as long-term investments right you know janice someone today asked you i want to buy a house and flip it in six months what are the odds that i'm going to make money i don't know what would you tell them um it's just it's there it's much more uncertain right yeah right yeah risk is higher risk correct is higher. exactly you could make money just like you could um but ultimately we all agree right that that investing is a long-term thing definitely definitely what's going to be interesting y'all is going to be what's the new normal 
right? What's yeah. the new normal with restaurants? What's the new normal with gyms? Are all these, you know, movie theaters, bars, yeah. uh, sporting events, what's that going to look like? And all the people that have jobs within those sectors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, this, and this whole work from home thing in this, you know, how is that going to impact people wanting to buy and stay in their homes? And, you know, how is that going to impact it? Because that really wasn't part of the conversation back in 2008, 9, 10, 11 during the recession when those things were happening. So this oh. is a really interesting uh, different time here. And I don't think anyone has a real clear answer. Yeah. And, and I'm curious to get your, your point of view on this, guys, is right. So we have a few cross currents working. Right. So commercial real estate, in some senses, a lot of it is going to be challenged. Right. You have 24 hour fitness going bankrupt. AMC is on the verge of bankruptcy. So all these sort of, uh, you know, mall retailers, all this kind of stuff um, is going to be challenged. On the other hand, you have things like, um, you know, distribution centers or logistics, which are thriving thanks to, you know, the digitization of the whole world right now and, and Amazon Fulfillment or Shopify or all these companies, right? And then I'm curious as to your thoughts on the residential side as to market like let's say you know let's focus on la um because it's a, it's sort of a it's a city but it's not sort of the traditional city that we're that you know most people say is like, like new york or san francisco do we see more appreciation in the underdeveloped areas because now work from home is more common or do we see real estate rising across the board because now a home is more important essentially than an office is uh, I mean, I'll jump on that one very quickly. I mean, I just I just read an article this morning that talked about, okay, so I'm going to work from home. Well, why do I need to live in LA? Like, or, or why do I need to live in New York? Or why do I need to live in Chicago? It doesn't matter what I'm talking about. I could live out in and have a beautiful, huge, massive property in the middle of Utah somewhere, and I can work from home and do my thing and whatever. So that remains to be seen, whether people are actually going to jump from L.A. Right. and all of the, um, you know, I may call them trappings of L.A., the beach, the weather, you know, the lifestyle and, you know, whatever you want to call it. And are, are they going to actually jump ship and go out to the middle of Utah and buy, uh, you know, a $100,000 property with 50 acres? Right. I, I don't know. That remains to be seen. So um, that's the first part about it. The other part is the work from home. So I think people are going to guard their personal and their their private residents a lot more. They're going to value it a lot more. And I think if they spend money, and, and even if it's a year or two or three, spend a lot less money in, in going to Lakers games, going to see you know a movie or going to see you know a five hundred dollar concert to go see you know name name band. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you got all this extra money and you're like, wow, babe, maybe we can actually afford, you know, spending 500 more thousand dollars on a house and getting something, you know, you know, where maybe they wouldn't have six months ago. So yeah. it's a very uh, fluid, interesting time to see how that goes. But then you mix in to that conversation. Well, how stable are our jobs? Uh, you know, are we, you know, at risk of getting coronavirus? And do, do you have a condition that got one of what if one of us gets sick? If we're talking about a couple or a single person or whatever, so then you've got all those other things floating in there that kind of create fear factors, uh, for someone to buy. So I don't know, it's, it's really interesting to see. John, what are you seeing? I we haven't heard one word experience. I was ready to, I was ready to ask a question for, for you, just a question, real quick to you guys, Janice and Scott, with um. And this may be too short term right now with all of this just happening, but do you see buyers now requesting the the bonus rooms or the extra room for a home office? Is it too soon, or are you seeing that yet with buyers? Yes, uh, on that. I feel I feel like we were seeing that before already that people okay. were looking for us a uh, space for either an ADU, the accessory dwelling unit, or um, a space that they could create uh, a little corner wherever it is or a home office. Um, there's definitely obviously people are going to be pumping in a lot of money into home improvements, um, making their home their refuge. It'll it's going to be staycation. Everybody's thinking it's going to be staycation or work from home. <laughs> for the foreseeable future. So, um, so even uh, um, contractors are very busy 
that we speak to. Interior designers are incredibly busy. Um, yeah, gardeners, they're just, everyone wants to make their home their refuge. Right. Mm, I, I agree with that. I, I think, John, to answer your question, from what I've been seeing, is that people are wanting to buy something nicer, something a little bit further out of reach, because if you've got to be home all day, at mm -hmm. least it's going to be a little bit nicer, a little bit more pleasurable versus sort of like, you know, just kind of getting in there, just a, the, the, you know, the regular old place, I guess. Right. Condo or house. And, and anecdotally, I've heard some stories about places like formerly, uh, you know, just not the best tourist destinations, but places that are sort of close by that people can travel to via car, vacation homes becoming much more uh, prevalent now. So I, again, somebody I, somebody I spoke to recently saying they, you know, in the desert in India or La Quinta, um, where, where everyone used to buy for Coachella and, and things like that, Obviously, that's not coming, but because it's now a staycation spot, that the offers on homes that are off the charts because people want an escape. Mm -hmm. um, yep, very true. Yeah, so, and again, all, all of this, you know, we get a vaccine in in a year or six months or whatever. You know, we, we might be having a very different conversation, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and John, I'm curious also. So you know, this morning I got up and I read. Um, you know, we had we had some records in uh, mortgage applications, um, things like that. Home buyer demand at an 11 year high, of 11 or 21 percent from the year before. You know, what are you seeing on your end? That you know, rates as low as they've been, 3.3 percent is the is the national average now. With you know, a lot of people I know getting sub three loans. What do you exactly. guys? It's it's amazing. It is. Um, you know, interest rates are very low, so that's obviously helping with the demand. I think, you know, going through the shutdown for a while, we had um, a lot of sellers, obviously, that weren't putting their properties on the market. And all these buyers, they were still there. A lot of these buyers were still there. So um, I think the, the demand in the mortgage business right now is because there's, um, when I think of interest rates as, you know, historically, when I, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, we're seeing 30-year fixed rates in, you know, in my 30 years at the lowest levels we've seen them in a long time. You know, so um, where rents are so expensive, especially in our marketplace in Los Angeles, it's very, very expensive to rent a place. So looking at these mortgages, uh, they're very attractive right now to purchase. Uh, but that being said, though, what's happened also with the mortgage business in general, there has been some pullback. When you look at across the board with most lenders nowadays, some of the key factors that you're going to be looking at, larger down payment requirements, most lenders have pulled back. If a lender was doing 20% down, they may now require 25% down. Um, FICO scores, you had credit scores that prior to COVID-19, you can have very low credit scores with a lot of lenders. Almost every lender has increased credit score requirements, cash reserve requirements. Um, the, uh, the one thing I'd say that has been nice with the lenders, they, they kind of stepped up to the plate with the appraisal piece because most lenders are okay with drive-by appraisals. Uh, because we did, we started seeing, especially at the beginning of this whole thing, we saw a lot of issues with, it could have been a seller, it could have been a, an appraiser. You know, I had one situation where the actual appraiser is the one that refused to go out to the property, mm -hmm. didn't want to go into the property. Yeah. So, um, so the drive-by appraisals have been a, uh, a nice piece. But that's also an issue with some lenders where the drive-by appraisal may not be enough to consider an exception or to do a cash out refinance. They may want to see the inside. So you've seen some of these guideline changes with these lenders just because the appraisal piece has been kind of put on hold to get that full appraisal with the interior photos. And I also, I also read that 60, over 60% of the applications for mortgages are refis. Is that, are you seeing like more refinances than first home purchases? A lot of refinance, a lot of refinance. With rates as low as they are, um, the refinance, uh, have, those have been, you know, exploded. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that right now. Yeah. And, and, you know, everything you just said, John, makes me think of, unfortunately, you know, one of the other things we're dealing with in this country, which is a huge issue is income inequality, income disparity. Right. Um, and, and all of these things, you know, as, as much as I love being an investor in all these kinds of things, this, these things sort of just further the, the wealth gap. Right. You have people who have mortgages who are refinancing. You got to have a higher credit score. You got to have a higher down payment. 
you got to be even more qualified to buy a home. So, you know, average, you know, average Jane, average Joe, don't get the full effect of this sort of low rate environment. It's really the haves continue to have and the have nots continue to have less, unfortunately. Um, and, and hopefully we can get into a situation where, you know, where that can come down somewhat. But that's, you know, the, this sort of, um, you know, free money, this cheap free money that we're getting from, from the Fed and from all these kinds of things is unfortunately has its, has its downsides also, um, making things unaffordable, whether it be real estate or the stock market. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm curious also now, as we talk about that, what you, Janice and Scott, what do you guys think as far as, you know, everyone now is talking about disruption, right? Disrupting industries, um, technology is starting to rule our lives now, and, and anyone who's not disrupting is falling by the wayside. So, number one, what do you what are you guys doing to sort of amplify the experience with technology? And and two, what are you guys seeing as far as you know the Zillows and the Redfins of the world? Um, are they hurting your business? Are they helping your business? Um, or are they just kind of just there? <laughs> Janice, you want to jump on that? Um, yeah, actually. So with technology, we're not Compass, our broker has really tried to harness more of the technology side, whether it's trying to create a platform to make it easier to communicate with buyers or to create more leads. When it comes down to working just with our clients one-on-one, -on -one, it's it's a people business. So, um, you know, we use technology to kind of keep all of our workflow, all the checklists and everything in order. But other than that, it's not selling homes. There's not, it's not a very technological <laughs> business in that sense. The only thing I could think of that is, uh, has really been the game changer from when I bought my house in my first house in 2010 to now, um, where I had to physically sign each paper, which was a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's some things that make it easier, right? But it's more the admin part of it. So DocuSign. Um, do you have anything to add to that, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think that all, with all of the, the websites that you mentioned, Zillow, Redfin, Trulia, I mean, I think what this is doing is making our jobs um, uh, better because it's actually making us compete um, it's making us be more knowledgeable. It's making the agents, it's really thinning the agents out. The ones who are really good, who are qualified and competent and really know what they're doing and really work hard for their clients, it's separating the pack. So that's really helpful for us because I'm sure in, in your trades, when you work with someone who, you know, is, you know, maybe difficult to work with, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. It makes your job a lot harder. So, um, but it also keeps us on our toes. So like Janice said, it, it requires our service level and our knowledge level to go way up. And it, and it requires us to be really on top of it for our clients. Um, one of the things that, that we're on is, is Yelp. And so one, and one of the metrics that Yelp keeps is how fast we, re we respond to inquiries. So even if we get an inquiry at 5.30 in the morning, and we don't respond until 6.30, that's an hour time link that we have not responded to them. And so it'll track and it'll say, well, and it'll publish this right on the page. Janice and Scott don't respond in for an hour, you know, or something like that. So, and then three other realtors, it's like, you know, Joe X realtor responds in 10 minutes. So, you know, it's things like that where we, it really keeps us on our toes, but for a good reason, I think. But it also really helps that, I think it, it also creates confusion because our clients always come to us. Almost, I would say almost always, I can't say always, and say, oh, hey, guys, Redfin said our house is worth this much. What do you guys think? And then we tell them, we go through and we, we go through the comps and we say, well, I don't think Redfin actually went into that house down the street from you guys and saw the interior. Well, Janice and I did. And so here's the biggest difference is these X, Y, Z, you know, all these things. So we think your house is worth more or less or whatever. Yeah. So it's not quite there where we're going to be replaced or like um, that they're making our lives um, harder. They're actually making our, uh, for the consumer, actually, they're making the experience better for the consumer. Yeah. When you're the great agent. Got it. Yeah. 
that makes sense. You know, I always like to tell my clients and anyone I talk to is, you know, we, we love to incorporate technology into our practice and we use it wherever to enhance the experience, but never to replace the human element. Mm. Uh, this is something that I, I believe, and I've worked with you guys before, and I understand, just like with anything, right, you have people who are very good at their jobs like you guys, and you have people who are average, and you have people who are below average. Right, so you, you always want to seek somebody who's obviously very knowledgeable, knows how to deal with technology, knows how to enhance the experience. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I mean, buying a buying a house is much like investing in the stock market. You know, there there are certain things that people feel like they can do, just because it's available to do it, but they probably shouldn't. Like, you probably shouldn't be going through John's mortgage applications by yourself because you'll you'll probably get a migraine just looking at it. <laughs> curated an application only is that simple it's what's behind the application <laughs> one part i'm just saying just that part just that part uh, you'll get a migraine just looking at it and then on the flip side you know you you go see a house if you're going to spend a ton of money on a house it's the biggest purchase you're ever going to make are you really going to do it through an app probably not <laughs> Um, so you need people who are knowledgeable, who are good, and who are going to work for you. And that's ultimately what technology has shown us, right, is that the people who adapt and utilize it well and still provide that concierge-level service um, are going to be the ones that flourish. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So I'm interested in just your, your – was interested in your guys' perspective from an investment point because we've been kicking around the Zillow and the Red Fence for a while also – we do invest in real estate. You know, I, I'm a stock market guy, as you guys know. You know, I am looking to buy my home uh, also. But, uh, you know, I, I invest in real estate through the stock market. And, and a lot of people are, are not well versed in that. Um, but you can buy real estate trusts in the public markets. So we invest in companies that are, you know, whether it's, um, you know, REITs like uh, Blackstone, which is the largest owner of residential real estate in the country. Um, or MGM properties, which is casinos in Vegas, or 5G cell phone towers, or cannabis logistics. Mm -hmm. so there's investment processes all throughout the stock market also. And, and to me, I like real estate. I'm just not going to be the guy who, <laughs> who buys a building and has somebody mm -hmm. uh, and manages the property on my own uh, because that's just not my skill set. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think it's important for people to know that they can own real estate on their own, they can, you know, they could be their primary home. It could be a vacation or, or you know, something they rent out, or you can own it on the public market also, mm -hmm. um, with with some valuable ads there. You know, liquidity, and then having people who know what they're doing, obviously, kind of manage your money. So, you know, I, I'm curious if you guys have you guys interacted with a, you know, any of these like like a Blackstone. Do you guys ever? come up against them and, and when when or do they just buy an insane amounts of properties that that sort of they don't compete in the same space janice do you want to i don't think I've, we've ever had to compete against an investor like that okay. yeah i don't think that i'm not sure that they're buying in this mark or yeah. in territory mm -hmm. yeah if they're buying in bulk especially yeah um, yeah, yeah. So there's no competition with it's maybe the hard, hardest competition is the cash buyers and there's cash buyers, whether it's from a foreign national or even local. Yeah, would be the, the biggest competition. But no, Are you guys seeing a lot of cash buyers now. We still are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and what what do you think the reasoning for that is, you know, given just the insanely low interest rates? Why are people still eager to shell out a bunch of cash to, to own a property? I think because um, the, the first thing is probably because they feel it's the safest bet. I mean, that's probably because if I took a million bucks, put it in the property, all right, I, I don't have to pay the mortgage. I don't have to go through the loan. I may not, I may not even be qualified to go through the loan process for, because maybe I don't have a job or my job. Whatever. Uh, but then they might be scared to put it in the markets. I mean, they, that, that might be the case. So they just sink it into real estate and then that, they don't have to pay the mortgage, they don't have to pay the interest, and that's, that's how they feel safe. Now, and, you know, I do see um, a lot of clients come, you know, after purchasing property all cash, they mm -hmm. come back to a lender and say, mm -hmm. you know, could I recoup my, my funds? So you see that too that because, of the comp because it's so competitive. You'll have, you'll, have, you know, you'll have a client that either has the money or has a family member that has the cash, yeah. mm -hmm. so you know, pay cash for the property. 
just get a loan afterwards. So you do see that. And that's what we call delayed financing okay. in, the in the mortgage business, where you can obtain it afterwards. How do the rates look for that compared to purchase? Good question, Janice. It depends. Lender, every you know, lender to lender, it's different. Um, generally speaking, though, that the lenders that do what we call delayed purchase or delayed financing, the rates are sim similar to the purchase money rates. So um, they're not going to be this. They're not going to be identical. They're going to be a little bit higher, but pretty close. They won't be as high as a refinance rate. So you know, a purchase rate may be anywhere from a quarter to a half percent lower than a refinance rate, where a delayed purchase may only be an eighth of a percent difference. So it's still very competitive. And that's why it's um, still compelling to a lot of clients to pay cash if it's going to get in the house to get a loan afterwards. So and now I was just going to say a lot of people are using it as a strategy in multiple offers to pay the all cash to win the bid. Because typically sellers like to like to have cash over uh, over lenders because there's so many hoops and ladders you got to go through with the lenders. So, so two questions on that real quick, and then we'll we'll wrap it up real quick and, and take some questions. But two questions I have. One is, um, are you seeing like is, is there a market difference if, if somebody comes in? And let's say that let's just use a million dollars for an easy number. Property is a million dollars, and somebody comes in with twenty five percent down, and somebody comes in with an all cash offer. Like, what percentage of the time are they going to? Assuming that the guy with 25% or the girl with 25% is a highly qualified buyer, what percentage of the time are they taking the the cash offer if it's even slightly lower? I don't think we have any percentages to work with um, because honestly, everything is so situational. It's all case by case. So it depends on what the seller situation is. Sometimes the seller doesn't even need to move quickly. So they don't care if the all cash offer is going to close fast. Um, yeah. So it really is case by case, but um, it takes when there's a cash buyer, it takes out the uncertainty of a loan and appraisal contingency, really. Um, so it just is a more sure thing in some ways. And but not all uh, sellers go for the cash. The cash just because the cash offer comes in doesn't mean that they'll win, um, because ultimately most sellers are looking for the highest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I figured. Yeah. yeah. But the best chance is to close too in, in the story. And it depends on how emotional the seller is. So sometimes sellers are super prideful of their homes and they want to see the letter. Who's, are they going to tear it down? Are they going to keep it? What, you know, what's, what are they going to do with my beautiful home? Right. And so it really depends on a lot of those factors. Like Janice said, it's very case by case. And we've seen, we've seen uh, the, the clients that have a loan win over the cash buyers and vice versa. But I would say if you were to put it on an average through the span of our careers, more if everything is equal, more often than not, a seller would opt and lean more towards a cash offer. Okay. And then the last question I have for you guys is... Hey, guys. Sorry. Um, thank you for having me. I, all, I am at a geotechnical inspection upstairs <laughs> in the bedroom. So I have to leave because the, uh, the inspector is ready for me. So, thank you, Janice. Yeah, All right. Hi. So, so last question for you guys, real quick, and then we'll take the questions. Is it, Scott, if you're representing the buyer, or John, if you're seeing the, you know, the application, and, and somebody wants to put fifty or a hundred percent of the price in cash, do you ever recommend that that maybe they don't do that unless it's a highly competitive situation? Because to me, if I can get a sub three percent mortgage rate. Why would that's free? That's kind of like having money for free almost. Mm -hmm. um, why would why would we lock up this much money in an illiquid asset when you when funding is so cheap and you can do other things with that? Obviously, you're scared of the market, etc. But do you ever recommend to say, listen, you don't really need to put eighty percent down? John, All right, I'll start by saying, uh, and Scott, you could probably confirm this, but there are a lot of situations where a buyer does go into it wanting financing but has the cash to pay all cash and they'll write the offer all cash with the clause to say they reserve the right to get a mortgage, mm -hmm. but they don't put it in as a contingency. So that's a very powerful tool as well. Okay. Um, but yes, usually if a client comes to me, well, I'll have that. I consult with every client. So if a client comes to me and says, I'm putting 50% down, I'll, I'll speak with them and go through their finances. And a lot of times it's what they want. It doesn't matter. It could be just, this is the mortgage payment we want. 
yeah. you know, we as lenders look at someone's and say, okay, we can go up to, let's say 43% debt load, 43% yeah. of your income as a debt load, but some buyers or some people only want 20%. doesn't matter if a lender is going to qualify, mm -hmm. qualify me for a, a larger loan. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we do, but I do walk through that and discuss different loan options because sometimes it's, they, they come in saying, I want a 30 year fix. That's all I want. Yeah. And then when I ask the question, they say, I'm actually only looking to buy this property and stay there maybe five or seven years. Right. And if I bring up a seven-year arm or a different product, then yeah. they say, you know what? Maybe I can get a little bit more financings. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, that, and that's what I think. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, I almost never advise the clients on what they should put down or not. I say to talk to y'all and I say to talk to John. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, really, it's really not my place. Uh, right. I'm not a financial advisor. I work with real estate and I'll talk to them the value of the home, yeah. what I think they should offer, and then get in there and request request for repairs, help them make the best choice there. But I mean, seriously, like they, they bring it up to me. I might ask them some strategic questions like, well, I mean, are you going to be uncomfortable with the payment? Or like, I mean, I don't know how much they've got. Oh. Things. Like, I don't really know where their, their financial position is. So, yeah. And that's um, a great, yeah. thanks for that. That's a great sort of insight. And, and I think all of this, whether you're buying a house, whether you're investing, mortgage, I think the important thing here is to have a good team around you. That's what the whole idea is about, guys. Um, and for all those listening is you need to have a financial advisor. You need to have a, re a real estate broker that knows what they're doing. You need to have a, a lender that knows what they're doing. And you need to have people in your corner that actually are going to ask the right questions and make sure the right things for you are happening. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, I want to take some of the questions here that a lot of them are in private, so I, I haven't seen them, unfortunately, because I was in the live comments. Um, but we have, uh, let's see, a lot of buying activities due to pent-up demand from before the pandemic. These are some notes, y'all. Those are some notes from earlier. I think the, the notes actually start, uh, the questions start from, uh, are we good to go live? And then from there on down. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the one I have here. Um, I have, uh, okay. As the pandemic drags on, uh, pent-up appetite dissipates. People tend to hold back on luxury large item purchases, including cars and houses. Do you think that's going to happen? I think we kind of touched on that. All that really remains to be seen, depending on how the, in my opinion, how the recovery yeah. takes shape over the next six right. to 12 months. Um, I, I do think we have a fundamental reworking of our economy happening, and, and maybe not 100% and, and not a doomsday scenario like, like everyone's saying, but there is going to be like live events. It's going to be a long time before we have a bunch of people, a hundred thousand people going to Coachella mm -hmm. um, and, until we have a vaccine most likely. So I think it remains to be seen like anything. Uh, it's hard to tell what's going to happen in the next six to 12 months. Um, but I like to tell people if you're going to invest in a big ticket item, whether it be, you know, a retirement account or the, or a home, um, it's a five year time horizon. You know, if you're not going to hold an investment for five years, it's not really an investment. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's really speculation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have anything else to add on. To I'll jump in with that. I mean, it's it's from Patrick, Mr. Patrick Poon here. Um, I, it's it's really tough to say, but what I will say is that listen, if you're trying to time the market in real estate, I, I mean, good luck. Yeah. I mean, that that's a really tough one. Um, oh. Some people have gotten lucky with it, and, and some people may claim to like know exactly what's going to happen, but be very, very careful with that. Um, yeah. if, if you are, I think if you are paying rent, and this is to the renters out there, if you're paying a really high amount of rent right now, um, and if you're thinking that it might take three or four years to have the market come down, let's just say you're paying $50,000 a year total in rent, and your mortgage could be $50,000 a year. Remember, your monthly payment, no matter where it's going to go, it's either going to go to your landlord and their banker, or it's going to go to you and your banker, right? Or to the bank, I should say. So think about it like that. And, and, and don't think like you're going to go in making a bunch of money on your house. you got to think about it long term, like you said, Ayal. And what we always tell our clients is have a plan B. If you're forced to move, if something happens, like you, someone gets sick or, or anything like that, talk to your realtor about how much can you rent it out for so you're not in a state where you have to panic sell. That's yeah. what we always want to avoid with our clients is, is having a situation where they have to sell. So yeah. even, if you're, even if you're off by 500 or or $1,000 a month for three or four years, 
maybe that's not so bad because look what happened after the, the Great Recession. It's like within two or three years, everything came back. Yeah. So anyway, those are things that we could always talk about on an individual basis. But um, sure. yeah. But there are some cases, I we talk about this too, where if you're rent controlled and you've got a great deal, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's better to do the Blackstone or <laughs> buying a, a primary residence, maybe buy a duplex a little further out somewhere where you can afford it and get that one started and continue to do Blackstone. And I think the key is, is both equities yeah. and, and, and real estate. Oh. Oh. Another rule of thumb when it comes to financing um, is rates are very low right now. Uh, they may go up. So when you look at purchasing something today, this is kind of a, a rule of thumb for an, in, an increase in interest rate of 1%. It's usually about a 15 to 17% difference in purchasing power. So to keep that simple, if you're buying something today at $2 million with current rates, if rates go up by 1%, you may be looking at something for, what am I in my head, a million seven in that range, a million seven five. So you may say, I think prices are going to drop, but if they drop and rates go up, you're going to be kind of at the same level as far as mortgage payments. So that's something to keep in mind. I'm not saying it's it's going to happen. but oh, it's going to work on your down payment. That's the big hurdle, right? The right. down payment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the closing costs and furnishing and all of that. Um, all right, so let's see. Uh, this one's good for you, John. Uh, what do you think it will take for lenders to loosen their loan requirements, i.e. lower uh, down payments without PMI and lower cash reserves? Uh, well, the PMI is always, yeah, the easy part is the PMI. The PMI is usually going to be there if someone's putting less than 20% down. Right. Uh, so that's, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. PMI is always there. So if you put 20% down, no PMI. And there are some lenders out there that do less than 20% down with no PMI. So there are some exceptions. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the lenders loosening up, you know, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, there's tightening right now with what's going on with COVID-19. I think we have to kind of just wait and see how it all unfolds. You know, what really is the result of the mortgage forbearances, the true, you know, unemployment numbers and all this, all this that we've seen. How is it really going to affect the market? So I think lenders are going to stay in a cautionary um, pause right now, but at the same time, they're still lending. You know, yeah. so I think they feel safe in our marketplace, the you know the Los Angeles West Los Angeles marketplace because there's still very competitive financing available and low down payments still available. Yeah. So. All right. Um, yeah. What online resources do you recommend uh, for due diligence around valuation, area demographics, et cetera, whether it's for purchase in LA or elsewhere? I mean, you, I mean, Zillow, Zillow, Redfin, they're both great. I mean, they're, they're I, I would say that they're, uh, will give you a good idea, but it's not going to be what is super specific. Okay. So, but that's going to give you an idea. You can go in there. They're very rich with detail. Compass is also a great um, place to look for some uh, uh, information like that. So Compass, Zillow, uh, uh, Trulia, Redfin, all great. Yeah. That's the ones I use. Yeah. Um, and then we got one last question here. Uh, as we get into elections, it looks like Silicon Valley is headed towards a showdown with GOP. Um, how will this affect the tech sector? Uh, you know, it remains to be seen. You know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of saber rattling um, from from Washington, uh, specifically from the president. Um, now he's in it with Twitter um, ab about, you know, technology sectors. And, you know, every day we hear about antitrust stuff with Amazon and Apple and Google. And um, so so there is a there is a regulatory risk there. Um, ultimately, a lot of this stuff is, is usually just saber rattling. And uh, we have a president that does it very well. <laughs> um, so I, I just, I think there's going to be a lot of talk about it. Um, and ultimately I, I think just like anything else, we're, we're going to move on, but at some point there is going to be something that has to happen between with big tech. Um, you know, the, these five companies control more market cap now than almost every stock market in the rest of the world. So those five companies are now bigger than every other market other than one. And they might've even passed them now which is Japan's stock market bigger than there. So, so we just, we got to have to wait and see how this all, you know, comes to, comes to pass. Um, but I, I don't think there's going to be any major issues. I think that, I think that people, Facebook and Google and Amazon are the most susceptible. I think Apple and Microsoft are, are less susceptible. Um, but that being said, you know, who knows uh, what's, what's going to come of this. Most of, most of the political season is all about theatrics. 
um, we know what follows is generally less uh, less real. Um, but I am curious to see how real estate gets affected in places like San Francisco if more Silicon Valley people are now working remotely. We saw Facebook offer um, to sort of have people work from wherever, but they'll pay them commensurate with wherever they're living. So um, I wonder what that effect is going to have on, on a specific market like New York and San Francisco, both who are very uh, concentrated, um, but also, you know, concentrated as far as population, but San Francisco, which is concentrated in tech and has the most flexibility to go remote um, and how that works out. So um, I think that's all the questions uh, that we have. I want to, uh, hang on one second. Yeah, so I, uh, follow up. What resources might level down from that? I use Redfin regularly, but want to want trend data and stuff that may be less salient. Um, as far as real estate prices, there is um, something that we use a lot to, to look at you know, real estate over time and what it looks like. Uh, it's called the Case-Shiller Index. Um, Robert Schiller is a very famous economist, won the Nobel Prize and such, and, and has tracked real estate over you know, the country and, and several key um, cities over time. And it kind of gives you a good uh, idea of that if you want to look for that. Um, so with that being said, you know, I want to wrap things up. I want to thank everybody for joining us, uh, you know, Scott and John and, and, and Janice who had to jump off. Um, thank you guys so much for your insight. Um, I know that this is, uh, you. you know, this is something that everybody cares about. Everybody thinks about real estate. Um, you know, what I want to stress to everyone here is, you know, if you have questions, please reach out to us. You know, for those of you who are our clients at, G at Gerber Kawasaki, um, we're here to help you um, build this plan to get into these homes. Um, we have resources like the two, like these two here, um, to help you buy the house, to help you figure out, you know, financing options. What are the best areas? Like Scott says, um, you know, stocks stocks are like houses. Um, each one's different. You can have two houses in the same block, but one's Apple and one's not. Um, and so it, it's very important to have people guiding you. And so if you, if you take anything away from today, don't try to do this all on your own, um, get help. And, and we're all here to help you with anything you need. Anything you guys want to add? Yeah, I'll, I'll just jump in. I mean, I, I really, um, feel the same way that what, what you just said, I all it, it's, this is about providing great information, um, experienced information where we can talk about our past clients, what's really going on in the market. Look, there, there's no realtor in the world that's going to force a sale on anybody. So it's really going to come down to if you're ready, we'll provide you with the best information so you can make the best decision. The best team around you. We've got resources like John, who's been an awesome, I mean, a, I mean, incredible resource. That guy right there alone, 30 years in the business. I can call him and talk to him about a situation and he'll come up with a great answer for me to talk to my clients about or, or I'll just send my clients over to John. Same with you, y'all. It may not be the right time or it may not be the right situation for a buyer to buy or a seller to sell. So um, that's when I might put them in, in, in touch with you so they can talk about their options like, okay, should we rent it out? And what are the differences if we invest? You know, so um, it's about providing quality information, uh, not having like a desperate need to make a sale one way or the other. It's just about building the re relationship. And a lot of times we'll say, no, maybe you're not ready. Maybe, maybe this isn't the best the best for you. So, yeah. Awesome. The one thing I want to add is there's, you know, there's a, in regards to just discussing, you know, mortgages with the lender, some people feel like they have to wait until they're ready to buy. At least they think in their mind they're ready to buy. If, even if you are a year, even two years out, it's not a bad idea to start speaking with the lender because a lot of times we can help with the blueprint where we can say, you know what? I can see here, here's your finances. You're not in a position. You know that you're not in a position to purchase today, but here are the things you can do, whether it's helping with getting the credit uh, improved or saving towards a down payment. But don't feel, um, don't hesitate to reach out yeah. just because you're not ready to buy. Such and a good We're here to help. We're here to answer any questions we can. That's Such, awesome. Such a good, and, and Ayal, I bet you would do the same thing, even if you're not ready to invest. At least you, you would take some time to talk to somebody about like, okay, so here's the things that we'll talk about when you're ready and getting Absolutely. you guys set up. On. Absolutely. I talk to people like that all the time. You know, uh, it, it never hurts to consult. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, 
people on this call are not going to charge you for a consultation, um, especially if they were sent by one of the other people. So, uh, so again, we have all the resources, we have all the tools. We always say, like you did, John. You know, let's put the plan together. Let's put the blueprint. Let's put you in touch with who you need to be in touch with. And when the time's right, boom, we'll strike while an iron's hot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. Uh, send thank you to Janice as well. Um, and uh, this was great, guys. And we look forward to maybe doing some more in the future.